How are we doing? Good? Bless, I'm good. I'm glad you're blessed. I just want to say, you know, you know, the things between Faye and I, I felt it was a bit harsh that you sacked her after the first session and replaced her, you know. You know it was, obviously, I was a little bit hurt by the pastry comment, but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to end her career in worship lead. Nothing, she's quite good. So, uh, so hopefully they'll reinstate you next week, maybe in one of the later sessions. So anyway, praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Just want to, you obviously had conversations during the break. I just want to um, help you um, process the things that we're talking about. Paul says in, um, in the New Testament, I'm trying to think of the scripture off the top of my head, come to me. But he says this, fight the good fight of faith. Have you heard that phrase? Don't you think the good fight of faith is? The good fight of faith is stand. Continue to stand. You know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about putting the full armour of God. It says, when you've done everything to stand, stand. What does that mean? It means regardless of everything else that's going on, you just, I'm not going to be moved from this one spot, or I'm not going to be moved from this one truth. And the one truth I'm not going to be moved from is this God is a good God. I'm not going to be moved from that truth. The enemy's tactic from the beginning has always been to make us not only question God's word, but question God's motive, question his heart, question his goodness. When the serpent came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, there was two things he said. Number one, he said, did God really say? He wants, you to, try and, wants to try and undermine the word of God. And then the next thing he said to us this, he said, God knows that if you eat this, you're going to be just like him. In other words, the enemy wanted to say to her this, God is trying to keep something that is good from you. Questioning God's motive. And I would say this to you, that is the fight of faith. The fight of faith is this to say, this is what the word of God says and I believe it. And I believe that God is a good God and his plans for me are good plans. We started at the very beginning of the meeting today. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And the things I'm talking about today, I'm just telling you, these are the principles that I believe and I live by. And the reason I'm saying that is because faith is not a slot machine. It's not a slot machine. Do this, and it works every time. That's not what it says this. But faith is this. It's regardless of everything that happens, I'm going to continue to trust God. I'm going to continue to believe that he is good. If I, <laughs> if I thought that being in the will of God meant that everything in my life went right every single time, every circumstance went well, I've never been in the will of God in 50 years of being a Christian. That's not how it has been. But I know that when God has spoken to me and I've stood on his word and I've had faith, he has always come through. He's always enabled I'm not sure if I told you this last time I was here, but I'm, I think it's worth repeating. Um, I've never really made good career choices financially. Um, I, I'm so grateful for my wife, who when I decide I need a career change, 
somehow she just says, okay, dear, and goes along with it. You know, when I, I told you before about the job I had in the motor industry, that was a great job. I really enjoyed it. And my final company car, you're going to be horrified at this, I had a Mercedes. But my dream had always been not to be a preacher. I always wanted to be a policeman. And so I decided I was going to join the police. I was going to apply to join the police. And that was going to mean losing 30% of my salary and my Mercedes, which I loved. In fact, my eldest daughter, the gift giver, when she was born, you know, I, I took her home. I got a Mercedes from work and took her home in it. And unfortunately, I've got her into a style which she'd like to become accustomed now. And her current Vauxhall Corsa just doesn't cut it. But anyway, I'd made this career choice and I went, and you know what? Even with that career choice, God still blessed us. Then, after seven or eight years in that job, by this time I was down in South Wales working in the police there, I felt that God was calling me to come out and serve him full time. I said, no, Lord. I like my job, but I really felt... You know, you just know, you just think, I know God, I'm not doing, I'm not doing what I was meant to be doing. So the, the leaders of the church that I was part of, they felt that as well. And they, wanted, to, they wanted, to, um, wanted me to give up my job and come and work for the church as an evangelist in the church and do some other stuff in there. And they offered me, as my salary, one third of what I'd been earning before. In other words, they wanted to cut my salary by two thirds. I don't know how that makes you feel. I don't know if somebody said that, if offered you those kind of terms, whether you would leap at it. So I spoke to my wife and um, felt that, was, that you know, what God had said was right and that he would make her knees. Now, by this point, I've got two children. I have a mortgage. Um, I forgot to say that when I joined the police, I went from a Mercedes to a, a Volkswagen Golf that had done 170,000 miles with a diesel and sounded like a tractor when you started it up. My neighbours thought I'd gone mad. Anyway, when I, went, when I went to full-time ministry, my salary was cut by this amount. And um, I remember saying to God, have you ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Very famous Yorkshireman evangelist. And I'd read his book, Apostle of Faith, and enjoyed the book. But he was a plumber by trade. And God called him out of his job. And, and um, he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, he said, if I haven't got, he said, I think it was three suits and two good pairs of shoes. He said, I'm getting my tools and I'm going back to work. And I said something similar to the Lord. I said to the Lord, Lord, if my wife has got to work extra hours to support me, then I'm going back to my job. I said, Lord, if you can't look after me, I'm going back to my job. And my superintendent at the time in the police said, don't give up your job, just take a career break. We'll keep your job open for you. And he said this in front of the whole canteen. I remember it, it was Friday, I was always fishing on Friday in the police canteen, and I was in there, and the super came in, Superintendent McAllister, and he said this, he said, PC Lavery, this is my last day, he said, he said, you'll be back. He said, I know what churches are like, I know what Christians are like. He said, they won't pay you, you'll have holes in your shoes, and in six months you'll be back begging me for your job back. That's what he said in front of about 20 odd people in this canteen at the time, and they all chuckled over their fish. You know, and looked. And I said to him out loud, Superintendent, I said, God will look after us. We won't be back begging for, for money. 
I won't be back begging for my job back. I thought, bold statement. And we decided to trust God. Now, we had a mortgage. We had two children. And not only that, we give. We live to give. We were supporting. We'd sponsored a child. We gave money to different ministries. We gave money into our church. You know, we live that lifestyle. And I said, Lord, I don't want, I don't want to have to stop my giving again in order to, to do this. And you know what? In that year, in that year, this is the truth, with that rotten, underpaid salary, God met every need over and above. By the end of the year, not only had we thrived and not had to cut our giving, but I had a better car. We got rid of the rubbish car and God gave me a Honda. Praise the Lord. And we paid off a credit card bill that we had. God was good. And if you ask me now, how on earth did that happen? I have no idea. But I'm just saying that because I want you to know this. I'm not just preaching here theory to you. I'm not preaching theory. This is how we live. We have learned over many years to trust the Lord. It gave me great pleasure to go back to Superintendent McAllister within nine months and go into his office. And he thought I was coming to ask for my job back. And I got these lovely shoes. Lovely leather shoes. And I walked into his office and I said, Super, I said, I'm here to let you know I'm putting my ticket in. I'm not coming back. And he went, what? I said, no. I said, God's been good. I said, this is what I'm meant to be doing. God bless you. Gave him a Bible and left. And I haven't seen him to this day. God is a good God. God is a good God despite any other circumstances. We've been through things where not every prayer we've prayed has been answered and I don't know why. Not everything has worked out as we thought it should and I don't know why. But the one thing I will always say, God is a good God. He is faithful. And that's the one thing I really want to get across to you today. You can trust him. Because all of us at this time are facing circumstances. All of us. In one way or another. And we need to be those that have our eyes fixed upon him and not fixed upon those circumstances. You know, Job, we're just discussing this in the, in the break. There's a guy, if you read the book of Job, everything that could go wrong went wrong. And his wife came to him. <laughs> he said this to him. Just curse God and die. That's what she said. That's what his wife said. You know, I love it when people say, you know, everything, this is the word of God, everything in this. You know, it may all be the word of God, but not everything that's in it was God speaking. Do you know that? Job's wife wasn't speaking by the Spirit of God. Just so you know that. Just curse God and die. The one thing that Job refused to do was that, that very thing. He said, even regardless of everything else that's going on, I'm, I'm still going to trust in him. I'm going to believe he's a good God. Let me just tie this up with a little bow. Anybody watch The Simpsons? One of my favourite episodes, one of my favourite episodes is the one where Homer becomes a Catholic. Have you seen that one? So Bart gets kicked out of his primary school and the only school that will take him is the local Catholic school where strict disciplinarians. And they have bingo and pie night. So Homer decides he's going to go as well to school. And in this little montage, Homer's in the class in this Catholic school. And on one hand, he's got written, God good. And the other one, he's got devil bad. And I looked at that episode you know God can speak to you through the Simpsons <laughs> he spoke to me through the Simpsons I thought that is simply it if we can just get that truth God is a good God and the devil's a bad devil 
And instead of blaming God for the things that go wrong, recognize there's another hand at work here that wants to rob you, who wants to steal, kill and destroy. That will help us a whole lot. We must always be faithful to say this, he's a good God. He's a good God, regardless of what goes on. Is that okay? You can shout me down if you want to. I really don't care. I believe it. I'm not going to get moved on it as well. I was saying to you, you know, early on, my wife and I, even though this week's been a tough week health-wise, we continue to say, he's my healer. I will not die, but I will live. So let's go back to Genesis 26, shall we? So we've got Isaac, who's in the land. He's decided to stay in spite of the famine that was in the land. God has said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. So he stays in the land. I want you to go down to verse 12 now. Isaac sowed seed in that land. And in that year, he reaped a hundred times what was sown. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was wealthy. And then it goes on, he flocks of sheep and, flocks of sheep and so on. Isaac sowed into a land that was undergoing a famine. Isaac sowed in a time when no one else was sowed. Everyone else was getting out of there. Everyone else was leaving or starving. But God told him to stay and he sowed into the land. And in that land, it says the Lord blessed him and he reaped a hundred times that which was sown. And the next thing I want to say to you, this is, the, this is where we're going to go. This one here is this. The first one I wanted to say that God has blessed us. And we are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. The blessing is on our life and we are blessed in order to be a blessing. The next thing I want to say to you is I want to show you how does God view your giving? How does God view your giving? And this is a little bit of a, I won't say it's a little bit, it's a big stumbling block for many Christians even to talk about. Because one of the things that we find hard to talk about is money and giving. Because none of us want to be seen as those who give to get. Oh no, I give, but I just, I don't want to receive. Have you ever heard that? I have. I've heard that in churches. We give, but we don't want to receive. Well, can I just point this out to you? You can only do that for so long. Because if you continue to give and you don't receive, you will have nothing left to give eventually. Does that make sense to anybody? No. It doesn't make sense. If you only give and you don't receive anything back, you will not be able to give eventually. I want you to see how God views your giving. I want to take you to two scriptures. First one is in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The chapter in my Bible, it says here, motivations for giving. And Paul writes this and he writes... In the number of verses, he talks about this offering that's been taken up in order to aid the church elsewhere. And he's talking to the Corinthians about his offering. And then he goes down and he says, um, let's see, verse 5. I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead of you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promised. That will be ready as a gift and not as an extortion. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he's decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work 
As it is written, he is scattered, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Okay? Now that's in the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible today, you can't see that for yourself. You're just at the moment going to have to take my word for it. But I would advise you to get your own Bible and look in the Bible to make sure that what I've just read is actually the truth. But this is what it says in my Bible. That when we give, God views our giving as sowing. He views it as sowing. Okay? I had, again, a conversation with a church leader not two weeks ago. And he says, this is what he said. He said, we don't sow to reap. And I thought, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. That is one of the dumbest statements I've ever heard. Who in their right mind takes seed and plants things in their garden with no expectation that something is going to grow? Am I, am I daft here? Is it, is it me? Who, who does that? It, it, that's what it says. It says the person who sows will reap. Then, so I said that to him. I said, that doesn't even make any sense to me. He said, but here's the thing. Well, we sow with things. We, sow, we can sow our money, but we reap spiritually. And again, I thought, okay, I, I understand what you're saying there. But this is what it says in Galatians. It says in Galatians, God is not mocked, don't be fooled, for whatever a person sows, that will he also reap. If you look in the Amplified Bible, it says that and that alone will he also reap. That's what the Bible says. I feel that Christians work extremely hard to try and turn this word to say something it doesn't actually say. But the Bible says there absolutely clearly, and I'll stand and argue with you all day that that's what it says in every version, in every translation. This is what it says. God views our giving as sowing. Why? Why? Because, this is what it says as we go down, it says he provides seed to the sower. In other words, if you're a sower, he will make sure you've got something to sow. Because God wants to give you so that you can be a blessing to others. He doesn't give us to hoard. He gives us so that we can sow. And we need to understand this. There's a difference between, it says he provides seed for the sower and bread for food. He'll provide and increase and multiply your seed. In other words, this, don't eat your bread, sorry, don't sow your bread and don't eat your seed. Does that make sense? If you've got a lot of seed, you can make it into many loaves, but by next season, you'll be starving. If you sow it all and give it all away, you'll be starving even quicker. Either way you starve. You need to understand that God gives us seed to sow and bread for food. One of the principles I've always had as a church leader is this. In the churches that I have led, we've always had a seed fund. In other words, we divert some of the giving that we have in the church into a seed fund. So we've always got something to give. Whenever there's a need, we've got something to give. We've got something to sow. 
And you know, in whatever church I've been in, regardless of what's been going on, we've always had something to give. We've always had something to sow. We've seen miracles as we've done that. God views your giving as sowing. He views it as sowing. And it's not wrong to reap. It's not wrong to reap. But one of the great things about, you know, I have these conversations with people. And they ask me questions. I don't mind people asking me questions. I don't mind people arguing with me. Because it pushes you back into the word. You go back and you say, I'm sure that's what it says. And you read it again, you go, I'm sure that's what it says. But that's what God says. It's great to be in that position. Great to be in the position. Let me give you another scripture. Keep your finger there. Let's go to, let me see. Let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs 19. Got there yet? Anybody there? Will you like to try the Proverbs 19, verse 17. Is anybody, who's, who's got it in the Bible right now? Okay, so in the corner, could you, sir, read it in your nice, loudest voice? He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Okay. What version is that, sir? NIV. NIV. Anybody have a different version? Yes? 17, yes. No. 1917. We'll come back to you. Anyone else got a different version? What have you got there? NIV again. Oh, have we got another one here? Oh, nice. 17. Okay, I've got the Christian Standard Bible. It says, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. Anyone else get anything different to that? Apart from you, I don't know what version you're in now. <laughs> New, living. New living, okay. Okay, so when we give to the poor, how does the Lord see our gift as a... Alone. Yes. He who gives to the poor loans to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? He repays you. I want you to understand this is a really clear principle. A clear principle in Scripture. I could take you to loads of them. I'm only giving you a couple today. We give out of a right motivation. But I want you to know that God views our giving as sowing. He views it as a loan to him. And he repays and he wants us to be able to continue. I want you to think of yourself as a believer, as someone who is blessed, to think of yourself as a conduit for God's blessing. A number of years ago, I don't, does anyone here work for CAP? Oh, one of you, one of you. I, I thought everybody in New Frontiers Churches worked for CAP. <laughs> I worked for CAP years ago. I did a little project for them down in Swansea, set up the centre. And I love Cap. I love John Kirkby. I love his whole heart, the way that he is. He's very, very kind. But again, when I was working for Cap and I set up the centre down in Swansea, one of the things they had as well, they had a little seed fund. And these were meeting these people that were in debt, these people that were poor, and he said, bless them. He said, he actually gave us money. He gave us money to be able to go buy people a bunch of flowers 
or take them out for a coffee or take them for a meal. He'd set money aside. I thought, that, what a great idea. And I loved doing it. I loved it. I loved being able to give somebody a gift. It made me feel wonderful. It was good. It was, I was handling someone else's money. It's very easy to be generous with someone else's money, isn't it? You know. <laughs> you know. But it's a great feeling, isn't it, to be able to do something. Three weeks ago, I was in Leeds City Centre. Again, please, please hear my heart when I'm telling you this story. Please hear my heart. I was in Leeds City Centre, and I was coming down um, past the Trinity Place. I was heading to the train, and uh, I was about 25 minutes early for my train. And it was pouring me rain. It was a Friday. It was pouring me rain. I had no umbrella, and I was getting soaked. And on a Friday night, we were going to have a Chinese takeaway. So I was at a cash point just down at the bottom of the Trinity Centre, and I put my money in, and I took £20 out, because Chinese takeaways are quite cheap in Wakefield. £20 out from a Chinese takeaway. And I was there, and I was putting it in my pocket, and I didn't really notice, but there was a homeless man, youngish guy, who was sat just on the other side of a lamppost. I didn't see him straight away in the the rain, and um, had a cup. And I remember he had a pair of flip-flops on, It was pouring me rain, literally pouring me rain. And he said to me, he said, have you any change, mate? And I didn't have any change. I said, no, I haven't got any change. And I'm always a little bit, I thought, you know, I want to try and suss people out, you know. So I said, I've got 20 minutes. I said, you fancy a coffee or something, you see? So he went, yeah. So we went across, there was a Cafe Nero. And um, as we walked across to Cafe Nero, he's walking with me, drenched, drenched. And uh, being his, I think he'd be in his late 20s, something around there. He says, uh, he says, how can I go in there? He said, I'm homeless. I said, they don't know that. So I said, just come in. So we went in, we got a table, and I got him a hot chocolate, all the trimmings, marshmallows, everything else. And we sat and we had a, we had a little chat about this guy. Went through his circumstances. Anyway, I was there with him, got to listen to his story, and he was telling me what had happened and the, the circumstances of his life. And, um, and he, said, he said to me, he said, you're an answer to prayer. I said, am I? He said, yeah. He said, this is, this is great. He said, you're an answer to prayer. I said, well, that's, I said, I like being an answer to prayer. I said, I'm actually a believer. I'm actually a follower of Jesus. And he burst into tears. He said, I knew it. He said, I knew it. So I said, you're having this coffee. Anyway, as it transpires, he was trying to get money because he was staying in a shelter. And guess how much he needed for that night to stay in the shelter? <laughs> 20 pounds. So anyway, we sat for 10, 15 minutes, listened to his story, and I said to him, I said, look, I said, I can cover, I can cover your, your uh, thing tonight. So he burst into tears again. I gave him a 20 quid, 20 quid. So anyway, so we went out of the, the place, and we're standing at the bottom of the street, and I was able to pray for him. And I, I prayed, and this is what I prayed for him. I said, Lord, I really pray. It's called Eddie. Said, Lord, I pray for Eddie right now. I'll thank you that I've met him. I believe it's your will that I've met him. And I pray, Lord, I pray for a change of circumstances. I pray for a change of circumstances. I pray that you'd bring him out of this poverty. I pray for a job and dignity. Because he said to me as we sat having a coffee, he said, I'm utterly humiliated. He said, I'm humiliated. And I can imagine, can you imagine? Sitting in the pouring rain with a pair of flip-flops on, with a paper cup trying to get 20 quid just so he was humiliated, young man. And he said, and I prayed, I said, Lord, I pray that you'd give him his dignity back. Lord, give him a job, 
give him a place to live. And this is what I prayed. I said, Lord, I pray the next time we meet, AD buys me a cup of coffee. And he said, yes, yes. He said that, he, said, he suddenly just, he came alive. He said, that's what I want. And that's the thing. The heart, in his, in his heart, he didn't just want to be a receiver. He wanted to be a giver as well. He wanted to be, that was in his heart. I want to be a giver. And as soon as I prayed that prayer, he just latched onto it. And he says, I'll remember you. And I'll look out for you. And I'll, he was big red-headed, but I'll remember him as well. You know, you owe me a coffee? No, I won't. <laughs> but you know, that's, the, that's the, the dream, isn't it? That's what we're after. It, and here's the thing. I was walking back. I went, I went, I left him, and I was walking to the train, and I felt great. I didn't feel great in a self-righteous virtue signal, look at me how awesome I am kind of way. I felt great because I was an answer to prayer. I felt great that these circumstances that looked so rubbish was actually the will of God that I missed the first train and I was in the rain and I had to, you know, go, you, know you think it's just great to be, I felt great to be an answer to prayer and I thought that's, that's good. But I also know, I also have this confidence that I'm, when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. Lord, I thank you that you've supplied all my needs in doing so. I want you to understand this. Luke 4.18 in your Bible is Jesus proclaiming the gospel. He stands up in the synagogue and he opens the scroll and he reads those famous words. And the first thing he says is this. He says, good news to the poor. Am I right? Good news to the poor. And I've heard people say this, ah, but he was talking about the poor in spirit. That is a nonsense. It's a nonsense. The Greek word that is used there for poor is translated beggar. Beggar. Good news for those that are having to beg. Good news for those that are in straitened circumstances. Good news for those that are in lack. Stop trying to spiritualize something when God is very speaking very practically to the needs of people. Andrew, who's no longer with us, sadly, I think he's had an appointment. He's still alive, don't worry. Um, <laughs> Andrew's no longer with us. I think he read in the message version this morning. And he read from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was talking about, don't worry about things. Don't worry, I'm just going to put it into my own translation. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. He says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. That's what it says. Your heavenly father knows you need these things. Then he goes on and says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. God cares about your circumstances. He cares that you've got somewhere to live. He cares that you've got something to eat. He cares that you've got something to wear. He cares. God cares. And I've found the people that, that rail against this message, that rail against the fact that God is a provider and he's good and he cares, I find those are the people that are really already wealthy off. And they spiritualize everything. They make it seem, oh no, it's all spiritual blessings. Yes, of course there are spiritual blessings. But the shalom of God, do you know what that word shalom means? It means this, nothing missing, nothing broken. The shalom of God covers every area of our life. 3 John, the apostle wrote this, he says, I pray 
that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. That's everything. God wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. He wants you to be generous. And if you are generous, he will be equally, if not more, generous to you to make sure that the sower always has something to sow. If you're a sower, God will give you something to sow. When I was doing this course in Leeds, does anybody have a a change jar? Do you have a change jar in the house? I've got a change jar full of all these coins that I just never use because you don't use money in shops anymore. I've got this change jar. And in, in August, when I was in Leeds, I was, I was doing a course in Leeds. I was a commuter for the first time in 25 years. I was getting a train from Wakefield every day. And I was going into, um, I was going into Leeds every single day, getting my little coffee and you know, walking to where I was going. But every day, I was going to my change jar and I was filling my pockets with all my change. So I was, and it's because in in my line of work, you don't meet the homeless very often. And I was looking for them. I was looking for them. So I was going to come out of the train station at Leeds. Got any change? Yes, you've come to the right man. (laughs) 100 yards, got any change? You're You're a good day for you, mate. Boom. Every day, I get rid of my whole change jar. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's a great feeling. Just I want to because that's how God is like. You know, David was a man after God's own heart, don't you? There's a wonderful story about a guy called Mephibosheth. Everybody say that with me. Mephibosheth. (laughs) (laughs) Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. He was the son of Jonathan. Mephibosheth's father and his grandfather had both died. David had ascended the throne. And there's this great little passage where David says this. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? And then somebody says, there's this guy Mephibosheth. I won't tell you the whole story now. But he says, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? That word kindness is hesed. It's a Hebrew word, and it means the covenant love of God. It's translated in your Bible as, you know, kindness, graciousness, loving kindness, all these things. He says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? The heart of God is always looking to be generous. Always looking for somebody to bless. That's what we are meant to be like. I really believe that. Always have something in your pocket to give. Always have something in your pocket. Always be looking for an opportunity where you can give. We've been doing the DMM training. Did you know about the DMM stuff? And uh, I've been doing it with Abby Flavel over in Hull. And uh, she was talking about Shema actions. I don't know if you've heard of this word. She was talking about this, 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 this little phrase, a New Testament, an Old Testament phrase. But it's talking about, and this is what it says in that passage you read to, and, and, um, and I'm gonna, I'm, we'll finish with this. I'd love to go on, but Dan will turn me off or something. So he said this. He says, um, verse 11 in 2 Corinthians 9, he says this. As you are enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. When we do good, who are we meant to glorify? That's right. Our good works... Our generosity, our giving are done in order to glorify God. That's really important. I was speaking to a lady about two years ago and um, she was doing some stuff. She was doing some good stuff. 
she was working on a, we were doing some evangelism and she was doing some good work in a soup kitchen or something. And I says, are you taking the opportunity to tell people about Jesus? She went, oh no. No, I don't want to, I don't want to push that. I just want to, I just want to do these good works. I just want to do these good, I don't want to, I don't want to push my faith. And you think that might sound noble. It doesn't. Because if she's not glorifying God, who's she glorifying? Exactly. Exactly. Everything we do is meant to glorify God. And therefore we do extraordinary things that should cause people to ask the question, why? Why? Because we say, God has been good to me and I want to be good to you. I want to show you the goodness of God. That's the reason we are blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing. We did in my old, my old church in Swansea that year when I was, when I was working full time. We, had this, uh, we used to do these Christmas hampers. I'm sure you do things like that here. We used to do Christmas hampers for our families in the, that we knew and um, in the church, or not in the church, outside the church. And there was a particular family that we knew where we lived in this area of Swansea where we lived. And they, boy, oh boy, they were really, really poor. They, there was a mum and dad. Their dad had, had a long-term illness. The mum worked in the local, I think it was Safeway or something. And uh, they had three small children. And they really were struggling financially. We knew this. So from the church, we did this. We, used, we got these big, uh, we did a Christmas shop. We did a Christmas shop and we, we got every, we didn't just buy, you know, um, home brand beans or whatever. We went and bought the good stuff. You know, we bought good stuff. We got a big turkey. We got Tesco's finest Christmas food. We got the absolute best. And then we got these big sacks and we got presents for the kids and we got presents for the adults. We got it all from the church. And then me and my friend Jude, um, we went round to this house. It was night. It was about a week before Christmas. And we're walking up the path and inside the house we could hear an argument between the husband and the wife. And it was so loud we could hear it in the street, in this dark street. And then they were bothering and shouting at each other. And as we came up the path, it was one of those moments you, someone's having to argue, you don't want to walk in, do you? So, so walking up the path, we could hear the argument. And they were arguing about money. They were arguing about the fact that they didn't have money for Christmas and, you know, and, and all, these, all this thing was going on. But it was a loud, loud argument. So I went up and I knocked on the door. And the woman came to the door, and she opened the door, it's like this. She went, what? <laughs> Most people have been put off by that. I took the big Christmas sack, big red Santa sack, and said, this is for you. And she went, and she took the sack off me. And then we brought in boxes and bags, and we, we, we filled the kitchen floor with all these boxes and bags, all this food. And then we brought in these Santa sacks, and they had a tree, and there was nothing underneath the tree. It was absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, I usually cry when I tell the story. There was nothing under the tree. And we were able to put all these presents under the tree. And I remember these three little kids. They were only about seven or eight. The twin girls and the little boy. And as we were walking out the door, the little boy said to me, he said, why are you being kind to us? That's his exact words. He said, why are you being so kind to us? And I said, we want you to know that Jesus loves you. This Jesus loves you. And we left. Now, a few months after that, I'd moved up to Wales. But what a joy it was to find out from a lady in the church that all that family, the mum and dad, the three kids, all came to church not long after that. And the mum and dad gave their life to Jesus. Everything we do, all our generosity should point to him. 
should give glory to him. We want the world to know that our God is a generous God. And the way the world is going to know it is through us. That's who we're called to be. But I want you to be generous. But I want you to be generous in this knowledge. Number one, God loves you. He won't abandon you. He'll bless you. And if you're a sower, he'll make sure you've always got seed to sow. And he'll multiply your seed. He'll multiply your seed. I remember once I was in a church. <laughs> I was in a church. I'm nearly finished, Dan. Honestly, I'm really trying my best. I'm trying my best. I'll be really, really quick. I'm really, really quick. But I remember once I was in a church and I preached this. And one of the elders got up after me to try and counter-preach me. And this is... Okay, and this is what he did. This is what he did. He gave the story. He told the story about John Wesley. You heard of John Wesley? And he said, and he went through this. I don't know where he got this information from. But he said, this is, John Wesley was, you know, centuries ago. And it says, John Wesley, in his first year of ministry, he said, he, I'm just giving these things to my head. The first year, he, he earned 20 pounds and he gave 15 pounds away. That's what he said. In the second year of his ministry, he earned 40 pounds. And he still lived on the five pounds and he gave 35 pounds away. And he, as he tells the story, every year, exponentially. By the end of it, John Wesley's on about 12 grand a year or something. But he lived on the five pounds. And he gave, you know, he gave the rest of it away, you see. And his point was, he was trying to make, oh, we give, but, you know, we don't. And I'm thinking, that's the best example of sowing and reaping I've ever heard. Because the more he gave, the more God gave him back. And the more he was able to give away. God will bless you if you're a giver. I really believe that. I'm not saying it's a slot machine, but this is the principle we see in Scripture. In Genesis, it says this, until the end of time, there'll be seed time and there'll be harvest, sowing and reaping. And God has made that a universal principle, that whatever we sow, that will be also reap. Live to give. Be a giver. Have some change in your pocket when you go out and about in the streets of Leeds. Have something you're ready to meet a need. Live that way, and God will always make sure you've got something in your pocket to give. Live generously. We are the face of God to the world. Amen? Is that okay, Dan? Poor Dan. He thought he was